Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more by visiting johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date. By reading Life in Naples, you can find out more by visiting lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll be talking about current world events, including what's happening with COVID. Uh, Myanmar is in the news. Uh, Iran, China, and Taiwan. Just a lot of things to talk about with, uh, with Mark. We'll also visit with Larry Reed. He's the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. This being Black History Month, we'll be talking about three outstanding uh, black uh, African Americans who had inspiring words uh, in history. And we'll also visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several books. His two latest are Follow the Leader and Shake the Money Tree. It is February the 22nd, and on this day in 1975, my beautiful wife, Linda, and I were married in Minneapolis. Also on this day in 1819, Spanish Minister de uh, Luis de Onis and U.S. Secretary of State John Quincy Adams signed the Florida Purchase of a Treaty in which Spain agreed to cede the remainder of its old province of Florida to the United States. Spanish colonization of Florida Peninsula began, of course, in St. Augustine in 1565. The Spanish colonists enjoyed a brief period of relative stability before Florida came under attack from resentful Native Americans and ambitious English colonists to the north of the 17th century. Spain's last-minute entry into the French and Indian War on the side of the French, French cost it Florida, which the British acquired through its first Treaty of Paris in 1763. After 20 years of British rule, however, Florida was returned to Spain as part of the Second Treaty of Paris, which ended the American Revolution in 1783. Spain's hold on Florida was tenuous in the years after American independence, and numerous boundary disputes developed between the United States. Uh, in 1819, after years of negotiations, Secretary of State John Quincy Adams achieved a diplomatic coup with the signing of the Florida Purchase Treaty which officially put Florida in the U.S. hands at no cost, get this, no cost beyond the U.S. assumption of some $5 million of claims by U.S. citizens against Spain. Formal U.S. occupation began in 1821. General Andrew Jackson, of course, he's known for being in Tennessee, but he was the hero of the 1812 war and was appointed military governor of Florida. Florida was organized as a U.S. territory in 1822 and was admitted into the Union as a slave state in spite of the Underground Railroad, the famous Underground Railroad, in 1845. Well, just a word about where I've been. I've been uh, in surgery. I was uh, went through back surgery this past Monday and so grateful to be back. I'm pleased to report the surgery was a complete success. All of my appendages work and my only pain is around the surgical scar. I've walked more in the past five days than I have in the last five years and just very encouraged. The recovery is going to be slow because it was major surgery. I was under anesthesia for five and a half hours. But we'll see advancements daily, and I'm glad to have the whole thing behind me. 
I want to give a shout out to my surgeon, uh, Dr. Gary Colon, the neurosurgeon who performed the surgery. He did a great job. And uh, if you suffer from any back pain, I just highly recommend visiting uh, Dr. Colon. Well, it's been a busy week, and in the last week, of course, we lost, lost Rush Limbaugh. So much has been said about his contribution to our current uh, politics and culture. I'd like to add only this, that he was a man of total conviction and a man of uh, uh, the purpose of life is to have a purpose, and he had a great purpose in life. He died with his boots on, and I respect him so much for his commitment to what he truly believed and what he did. Rush Limbaugh, of course, dying last Wednesday, I believe. Also, we saw a social media, it was called The Social Dilemma. It's a video. It's about an hour and 36 minutes, a documentary about social media, and I highly re recommend it. Even if social media is not an important part of your life, to understand what it's doing to our country, what it's doing to our kids especially. Uh, it's called The Social Dilemma, uh, production by Netflix. On Friday and Saturday, there are 185 reported COVID-19 cases in Cuyahoga County, an average, of course, of 92 per day. The seven-day moving average is at about 85 on February the 15th. There are no reports of hospitalizations over the weekend, though there must be at, at least 80 or lower hospitalizations. When they don't report them, I suspect the news is good. White House Chief Medical Advisor Dr. Andrew Anthony Fauci said Thursday that it's very likely that family members who have been vaccinated against coronavirus can safely hug each other. I'm not kidding, he really said that. He also said on Sunday that people in the United States may still need to wear masks in 2022. Without citing any evidence or any scientific facts whatsoever, I just don't understand how this guy still has any credibility whatsoever. And he's the highest paid uh, federal bureaucrat in the nation. $417,000 a year, I think. Former President Donald Trump does not lead the Republicans still. He ostensibly owns it, according to the latest Suffolk University USA Today poll released Sunday by a near two-to-one margin. Republicans would leave the GOP to follow former President Donald Trump to a third party. Just 19% believe Republicans should uh, turn away from Trump and remain loyal to the establishment. Uh, Republicans and follow the turtle, uh, Mitch McConnell. President Trump will talk about the future of the Republican Party, and, and I, I guess the reason I wanted to mention that is the fact that the, there is no schism, schism in the Republican Party. The fact of the matter is that uh, President Trump is the leader of the Republican Party and will remain that way, although there's been a lot of press to the fact that there is difficulties within the party. I don't think that's the case. Former President Donald Trump will speak about the future of the Republican Party and lessons learned until 2020 during his upcoming speech at the Conservative Political Action Conference, CPAC. The former president will be a keynote speaker at the conference and is scheduled to speak on the last day on February the 28th. His attendance will be his first public appearance since leaving office. Trump intends to share his views on the growing GOP support for the America First agenda as well as about what a Republican Party could do to yield wins in 2022 and 2024 elections. I think what you're going to hear is President Trump talk about next Sunday on the 28th is the future of the Republican Party and the number of lessons that we've learned in 2020, where we saw 
President Trump bring in a record amount of African-American voters, Latino voters, uh, on the GOP side, bigger numbers than we've seen in modern uh, Republican history. We have to keep these voters engaged in the party, said uh, spokesperson Miller. Uh, Trump is a frequent guest at the conference hosted by the American Conservative Union uh, that attracts hundreds of conservatives each year. This year's event, which will be run from February the 25th to the 28th, will be held in Orlando. Other confirmed speakers, of course, are going to be South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, and what a great job he's doing. Former Secretary of the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, Ben Carson, and former Acting National Security Advisor, Richard Grinnell. 2020, Trump spoke about against the rising influence of socialism, which was the conference's theme that year, the former president warned about the agenda of far-left radicals and its impact on America if left unchecked. Far-left radicals have become increasingly desperate and increasingly dangerous in their quest to transform America into a country you would not recognize, a country in which they control every aspect of American life, he said. Just as socialist and communist movements have done over the world, they're cracking down on all dissonant and demanding uh, absolute conformity. They want total control, said Trump. He said that if socialist policies are left to the flourish, then we would turn America very quickly into a very large-scale Venezuela. Current and former advisors of Trump have said the former president intends to speak, spend time and money to help Republicans flip the House of Representatives and the Senate in 2022. The Republican Party is currently assessing its path forward post-Trump presidency. Again, while some Republicans, including Senator GOP uh, Mitch McConnell, have uh, called for their party to move beyond Trump, I don't think that's going to happen. Trump issued a strong statement earlier this week criticizing McConnell's leadership and arguing that the turtle won't be successful in the future if he's the leader of the party. We will never do what needs to be done, nor is it right for our country. What's necessary and appropriate, he said, I will uh, back primary rivals who espouse making America great again and our policy of America first. We want brilliant, strong, thoughtful, and compassionate leadership, Trump said. Couldn't agree more. There is no GOP civil war, so we put, ought to put that to rest. Uh, Trump will pretty much decide which direction we'll be going. I personally would like to see him file suit in federal court about the election, about the fraud that occurred. Don't know that that will happen, but uh, it, I think it would be a tremendous coup considering all the evidence that demonstrates that there was so much fraud in this past election. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know. And stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lula Bee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. 
Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, going to visit with Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, as, we, as I mentioned before the break, we have Mark Schulman. He is an author. He's written several books, mainly on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website. It's called HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So uh, let's uh, start off our conversation by what's talk- talking about what's going on with COVID and then understand that there's good news in Israel. Absolutely. So let's go overall. There's good news all over the world, it seems. There's been a, a significant decrease in the number of new cases a day almost across the board, almost everywhere in the world, uh, United States, uh, Europe, Israel, um, Asia, to some extent, although some, some have come back there, um, but they're starting from very low numbers. Mm. Uh, so there's been a general decrease all over the world. It's a bit early, at least, except for the except in Israel's case, to say that it's because of the vaccines. So no one quite knows why why that decrease is, is happening. Um, but it's all good news in that sense. Hospitalizations are down and everything else. Here in Israel, um, there is very good news in terms of the effectiveness of the vaccine, because Israel everyone belongs to one of the um, one of the HMOs, mm-hmm. so everyone is totally be able to track when they got the vaccine and. Uh, compared to those people who didn't get vaccinated. And at this point, uh, the vaccine is showing a 93 or 94% effectiveness rate in not getting COVID and a 99% or 98.9% to be exact 
effectiveness in severe cases and death. That's a fact. So that means for um, a for a hundred people who would normally die of the disease, um, only one person who had not taken the vaccine, only one person who took the vaccine died. Outstanding so we're results. talking about an incredible effectiveness in terms of uh, stopping death, and we're talking about an awfully high effectiveness in terms of stopping getting the disease, and according to some initial figures, it's also not transmitting. It's, it's, it's stopping to 89% transmission. That's outstanding. So very clearly, taking getting the vaccine uh, means you won't, your chances of dying from COVID become infinitesimal, yeah. and number two, it'll stop the disease and you know get rid of it in whatever country, if you can get up to a high enough percentage of people vaccinated. So what's happening? In Israel, with- there we're pushing um, a little over fifty percent of the population. Uh, we're past, excuse me, we're past fifty percent of the population above sixteen who are allowed to be vaccinated, and we're about a third of the way to the second vaccine in two weeks, which is at what point people reach maximum immunity. So what's going on with so, regard to the economy, the shutdown? Because I know Israel was... Well, shut- the economy has been, is started to be opened uh, this week. Stores have been reopened. Malls have been reopened. Restaurants are still only takeaway. Uh, schools, part of the schools are back. Uh, the middle school still is not. They did not want to bring back too much at the same time because then you don't know if, if there's another outbreak where it's coming from. Plus, again, the kids are not vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the problems in Israel is the fact that it's the British um, the British mutation is about 90% of the cases, and it is hitting younger people more. And one of the tragedies right now, it seems to be particularly hitting vulnerable pregnant women. There are 50 pregnant women of the, of the, who are currently hospitalized, of which 11 of them are in critical condition. One of them died last night. Mm. And these are women in their 30s with no underlying health conditions or anything else. So that seems to be a case with this um, British uh, variant. Yeah. Initially, people were told who were pregnant to hold off getting vaccinated. Now, with what with this happening, the general recommendation is that people should get vaccinated, whether or not you know they're pregnant or not. So interesting. Well, I know that there's still shutdowns going on around the, around the world. I think in New Zealand, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, well, New Zealand, they 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 removed the shutdown. There were three cases. They shut down all of Auckland until they could totally isolate it, and then they've reopened. Don't forget, New Zealand is, other than that, is living living like there was no COVID, no limitations, you know, huge outdoor concerts and everything else, but they're not letting anyone in and out of the country. Mm-hmm. Israel is doing pretty much the same. They're limiting 200 people now per day, who people who are allowed to come back into the country, who are stranded abroad, and they're only letting people out who have humanitarian reasons to leave. That's what New Zealand did, and that's what Australia did. They cut themselves off from the world, and it worked. Yeah, so um, interesting. Right now, the U- U.S. has just surpassed uh, 500,000 deaths, I believe the number is right now, and uh, still a lot of talk about blame and shame about uh, the number of people who've died as a result of COVID. But again, I think some of those numbers are so suspicious, as I've included uh, uh, the influenza, they've included uh, pneumonia, they've included... There have been no influenza deaths in there. There have been no influenza this year in the United States or anywhere in the world, actually. Well, to me, that's extremely suspicious. <laughs> I, I hear that always from right-wing people, it's suspicious, but it's not really suspicious because influenza is not as contagious as COVID, and all of the steps that people took to maintain a certain level of social distancing, much less flying going on. The amount of flying going on in the world 
is down 90%, and international travel is down even more. All the different methods that, that influenza had to spread through the world didn't exist this year. Mm-hmm. And so we forget that. I mean, it, influenza is contagious, but not nearly as contagious as the flu is, excuse me, as COVID is. Well, so interesting. So uh, that's, that's why there isn't. I mean, look, uh, you can argue a little bit with the numbers. I know for a fact here in Israel... We're also people still say, well, it's not, it's still not bad. January of this year was the highest number of people to die in any given month in the history of the state, including wars. So, yeah, when I, know, I read that, for example, I read four deaths uh, yesterday because of COVID nineteen. Uh, the people who died are age ninety seven, age ninety three, and so forth. I mean, to me, it, it just in the tabulation of this stuff is just so suspicious, Mark. And I'm, uh, I realize that I'm suspicious by nature. But you're suspicious by nature, is for sure. I don't really believe there's any... Look, one can argue here or there whether there were a case here or there that was problematic or overly included, but the fact of the matter is 500,000 is a, is, a, is a big number. The number of deaths in the United States is way above the yearly average. Mm-hmm. Um, certain things are down. I think uh, car accidents are down, for instance. People are traveling less. Yeah. Uh, so certain, certain things definitely balance out. Well, the number of deaths um, in, in uh, 2020 is exactly, or pretty much actually lower than the number of 2019 overall deaths I'm talking about, not just COVID. So, uh, again, raises some questions about the, what happened with regard to this quote-unquote pandemic. Well, it also tells you it's maybe good not to go to the hospital as much. <laughs> good point, Mark. Hey, listen, we've got a some... lot of people die. A lot of people die from infections in hospitals. You know, we forget about that. Absolutely. Um, and um, people didn't go unless they absolutely had to this year. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the hospital is one of the most dangerous places you could possibly spend time. I'm so grateful to have survived the process myself. So we have a lot of world news to talk about. Can you stick around? Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here in the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. 
with dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, doing a lot of great things, including creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now, we continue the conversation with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Mark. So let's pick up with talk about what's going on on Myanmar right now. There's been a couple of deaths of uh, citizens. Does the protests continue? Well, the people are not giving in in Myanmar. They want their democracy back. It was stolen by the generals, and um, they're doing their best to try to not allow the generals to live in peace, shall we say. Mm-hmm. You know, again, we'll see how many people will be killed and how, how much the army is going to listen to the generals. The uh, Biden administration has done the right thing, put sanctions on all the leaders of Myanmar at the moment, put as much pressure as one can muster. The problem, of course, is in the backyard of China, and I'm not sure what China's position on all this is. I'm sure it's not the same as the United States. Um, so, but again, you know, there was a democracy that been, has been eliminated by a bunch of generals who don't like giving up power. They well, never did. They had full power back, I think it was 2017, turned the power over to the people through the elections. Still maintained, I think it was about 25% of the seats in Parliament or in the House. But uh, when the results don't go their way, they uh, <laughs> took back the power. Yep. Exactly the problem. So uh, let's, let's, you mentioned uh, China. Uh, let's talk about what's going on in China and Taiwan. Two, two things I want to discuss with China. One, of course, is the fact that the, they keep on pushing against Taiwan, uh, sending patrols against Taiwan, the Taiwanese Air Force is responding. The U.S. has made some strong points in support of Taiwan at the moment. We'll see where that goes, but it made it clear that they're not going to let the Chinese push too far. I wanted to mention just briefly, because yesterday was the anniversary of Nixon's trip to China. And because it was the anniversary, for various reasons, I sat and rewrote uh, my entry on on that period of time. And I was reading both Richard Nixon's and Kissinger's memoirs from from that visit to China Mm. um, in 1972. And it struck me how much it, it, it speaks to us today, how on one hand, they knew the historic nature of what they were doing, how they were opening everything up and changing the world in terms of uh, superpower balance in the world. And yet they also recognized the fact that um, China had a different set of values, and it was going to be very hard to reconcile that with with the positions of the United States. And they, they went into it with their eyes open. They thought... They were very, both and very impressed with Mao Chitmao and even much, much more so Cho Enlai, who both Nixon and um, Kissinger depicted as one of the uh, most intelligent people they had ever done business with, uh, ever met. met. Um, 
and, and yet they understood the dangers, and but they also understood the benefits of having you know the Chinese card vis-a-vis the Soviet Union back then, and also the Chinese card in order to end the Vietnam War. So I just found it fascinating going back in history and listening to both what Nixon and and Nixon uh, were writing at the time. Uh, well, thanks for sharing that. I think their policies have remained somewhat steadfast over the course of uh, the 40 or 50 years uh, since then. So, Well, it was a very interesting thing um, that Nixon referred to. Um, he referred to um, having Malouar, who was a French philosopher, over to the White House before he went to the visit, because visit, he had known Mao. And he said, as far as China is concerned, China is the whole world. They really don't care that much about other parts of the world Mm-hmm. But they care very much about China, and all they're interested in is, is is China, and China's a continent to them. It's not just a country, and that's their their view of themselves and their view that they shall reign in China. And um, I don't know that how much that much has changed in all these years. Exactly. So, I mean, uh, Biden just uh, sloughed off the fact that the uh, Uyghur persecution is no, no, uh, that's a no. He didn't slough that off. That was that's that, that's been a. Uh, he didn't speak in the clearest tone, but he basically said he had said to Jing, Jing Lai uh, that that he has to understand that he is going to criticize him over the Uyghurs because our cultural values are very different. That he has to criticize, and those he has to criticize because that's our responsibility to criticize because we can't allow things like that to take place. He didn't uh, just you know pass over it. Well, he called it a cultural uh, but phenomenon. No one is really. Listen, China is a is a nut that's very difficult to figure out what to do about because we're both dependent on the Chinese, yep. and yet they're clearly a competitor. Let's put it that way, um, and they certainly don't have American values. Um, but you know, we do business. A lot of people don't have our values. True. Clearly, what they're doing with the Uyghurs is is beyond the pale. Um, but. What are we what are we going to do? Other than you know, we we can't get UN sanctions because they have a veto on the U, on the Security Council. It's a complicated situation, to say the least. Um, no no easy answers. Yeah. Let me put it that way. Well, that's that is extremely that is absolutely true. Let's uh, move to Iran. Iran is uh, emboldened, I believe, right now and uh, feeling its strength, its ability to create its own uh, nuclear fission, its own uh, uh, nuclear bombs. At this point, what are your thoughts? Well, clearly they're putting pressure on the Biden administration, basically trying to say there isn't any time. You better return to the agreement because within X period of time, a short period of time, we're going to have the bomb. Israeli intelligence claims there's a greater period of time than U.S. intelligence claims. Um, not sure which one is correct. Um, the reality is the Trump plan failed, and so the maximum pressure did not stop the Iranians in any which way. Uh, how do you go? Where do you go from here? Is difficult. Um, Biden administration is trying to see if it can get bring the old deal back in line before negotiating a new deal. The idea being, the old deal will give us some time to negotiate a new deal. Um, to remind your listeners, primarily the two biggest problems in the old deal was the fact that it sunset. Now it sunset slightly after ten years, mm-hmm. which would be in six, which would be in six more, uh, five more years basically. But the most important sunset provisions take place in year 15, sunset meaning they come to an end. And so the really important things you have until until 15 years from when the agreement was signed, which is basically 2030, to um, to extend the agreement in various ways. Hmm. And I hope maybe that by then the Ayatollahs will be gone. I don't know. 
So that's it's a big risk, and you know you can't really trust the Iranians. Um, but then, what are the choices? If you can't trust them in any agreement, even with rather rigid verification, then the only choice to stop them is going to war, and nobody seems to want to do that. Well, I think the Abraham Accords began to isolate China even. Uh, I'm sorry, Iran even more. Uh, and yeah, it looks like the attitude of the Biden administration is changing towards Israel. Any thoughts on that? Nah, I don't think it's changing so much towards Israel. There's a little bit of a change in the sense that, look, the U.S. ambassador to Israel during the during the Trump administration was further to the right on Israeli politics than the governing Likud party. I mean, he's very much from the from a group of people that believed in settling all parts of uh, the West Bank, what's called Judea and Samaria. Um, the they could is a little bit more cautious when it comes to that. Um, will the Biden administration say yes to everything Israel wants in the same way the Trump administration did? Probably not. But on the other hand, you know, they won't be the they won't be um, the difficulties that existed, let's say, during the Eisenhower administration, for the sake of argument, or even in the Bush father administration. Uh, Biden has a long history of um, a friendship towards Israel. Um, a little less so with Netanyahu. Um, so we'll have to see. Look, the Biden administration's priorities are really not in foreign affairs. That's number one. Clearly, the number one priorities are uh, COVID, the economy, and the infrastructure. In foreign affairs, his number one priority is China and, and, and Russia and rebuilding NATO. He hopes that the Middle East will stay quiet during his um, presidency. Um, but of course, the Middle East always has a habit of coming back on whoever tries to ignore it. So yeah, absolutely. Say, before I let you go, I found this interesting story in Epic Times about the Australian government's cutting its Facebook advertising because of their interference in, in the elections. I found the whole story to be so fascinating. And of course, what's happened here in the United States has been amazing. And uh, you and I talked off air about watching the video, uh, the, uh, the documentary about uh, social media. Any thoughts? Two things. First of all, a lot of what's going on in Australia has to do with the issue of who pays uh, newspapers for the fact that Facebook or Google uses their news inside of Facebook and inside of Google in order to hold on to people. So Google signed an agreement with uh, the News Corporation of Robert Murdoch, who was the biggest newspaper in Australia. Mm -hmm. Facebook removed all of its newspaper and news from its feed because they're not willing to pay. Look, the biggest problem that Facebook and YouTube primarily have, in terms of society, are actually two things. Number one, they have algorithms that push us to only see things that we agree with, and generally speaking, push us more towards the extreme. So whether your views are to the right, you get more right-wing and more further extreme right. If it's to the left, you get more left-wing and even further extreme left-wing views, whether it's YouTube or YouTube videos or your Facebook feed. That's problem number one. Problem number two is, of course, they track us. Now, I do not understand why we cannot pass legislation that does two things. Number one, it's illegal for these companies to track personal information about any of us, period, end of story. I don't, right. We don't need anything else to say. They just cannot do it. They're allowed to keep our name in, you know, for terms of signing up, but that's it. They can't know where we go surfing. They can't know what we buy. You know, Amazon can know what we buy because they're the store, but... Uh, Facebook should know what we buy, and Google should know what we buy and where we go and be able to sell that. It should be illegal, period. I agree. In terms of the algorithms, the algorithms need to be, when I go into Facebook, I should be able to pick. I want to see the last feed of everybody, you know, all my friends who posted, not 
which Facebook decides was something that that's going to be more engaging, and therefore it's pushing that at me. Well, there's just so many changes that need to be to occur. But I, I salute Australia for taking a look at this, as well as, by the way, right. our and own. Of course, co- you know, one of the big problems ultimately becomes down to is, in order to do something with Facebook and Google, it requires additional government regulations. And then someone like you, in theory, would be against government regulation. So no, it's a real dilemma. No, I'm not against government. I'm, I'm against uh, bad regulations about uh, over-regulating. <laughs> well, you know how easy it is to take good regulation and make it bad. Yeah, I do. Mark Schulman, again, the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. Genuinely appreciate your comment here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a great week, Bob, and all your listeners. You as well. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus foundation for economic education we're going to do that and more right here in the bob harden show on the bob harden broadcasting network stay tuned for more of the bob harden show here on the bob harden broadcasting network Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Our purpose is to provide you news and commentary rooted in the commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Larry Reed. He is the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, has very similar objectives uh, at the foundation itself. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. We're a privately funded organization devoted to educating and inspiring young people of high school and college age in ideas of individual liberty, entrepreneurship, free markets, 
and personal character, and we do that through our very robust website, which is at fee, dot org, and also through uh, online and in-person engagement uh, with students all over the country and abroad. Yeah, and I always add that if you have a young person in your life, definitely do get them engaged with the Foundation for Economic Education at fee.org. Uh, it has tremendous impact. I've seen it gone to several of the uh, events that have occurred, and uh, it's great to see young people celebrating freedom and responsibility. So, Larry, as we're winding up here, the Africa, uh, Black History Month, uh, you write about, in the inspiring words, some three great African Americans. Maybe you can tell us about it. Yes. Uh, the three that I wrote about, Bob, are Marion Anderson, George Washington Carver, and Booker T. Washington. Uh, they uh, are, of course, all gone now uh, for quite a few years. But in the, the early part of this last century, uh, they were people of great integrity and great uh, renown. They were uh, widely known. In Marian Anderson's case, she was uh, a fantastic singer. She was a contralto, mm. which is the lowest uh, female singing voice. And uh, she just wowed audiences both here and abroad. She's most famous because of something she did on Easter Sunday in front of the Lincoln Memorial uh, in 1939. Uh, she had been denied the opportunity to sing at Constitution Hall in Washington, D.C., because of her color. And so she went to the steps of the uh, Lincoln Memorial with a crowd of some 75,000 people to hear her sing. And there she sang, uh, My Country Tis of Thee, and brought tens of thousands of those people to tears. Mm, uh, she was just a remarkable woman who had some great uh, advice for people, too. Um, she said on one occasion, when you stop having dreams and ideals, well, you might as well stop altogether. Um, when I sing, I don't want the audience to see that my face is black. I don't want them to see my, that my face is white. I want them to see my soul, and that is colorless, she said. Yeah, just uh, again, just rings true the words of Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, indeed, I, I actually think I have... Uh, it could be a fantasy of my past, but I do re recall seeing her on uh, black and white television, Marian Anderson singing, perhaps on the Ed Sullivan Show, I'm not certain. How about George Washington Carver? Yeah, uh, George Washington Carver was a remarkable man in so many ways. He was perhaps the uh, most famous uh, and accomplished black scientist of the 20th century. He invented more than 300 uses for the peanut uh, more than 100 uses for the sweet potato. Uh, as a botanist and agricultural scientist, he helped farmers all over the world with new discoveries in areas like crop rotation and fertilization. Uh, on a personal level, uh, everybody just loved him. He, he was a deeply Christian man, very humble man. Mm. Uh, he had a sense of humor. Uh, he just felt very strongly that uh, the way you bring people together is to... Uh, be inventive and innovative and friendly to all, and he just he just had the whole ball of wax when it came to personal character. And some of the great things he said, I uh, cite in my article as well. Uh, and on one occasion, he said, "When I was young, I said to God, God, tell me the mystery of the universe.' But God answered, 'That knowledge is for me alone. 
So I said, God, tell me the mystery of the peanut. <laughs> then God said, well, George, that's more nearly your size. And then he told me. <laughs> Indeed, and so many other uh, great things as well. But it's just showing the expansive, accepting mind of uh, a great scientist and a great man who grew on difficult times and made the most of his situation. And, of course, then there's Booker T. Washington. Yes, Booker T., uh, what a remarkable man. He founded, uh, uh, or is best known for leading, uh, Tuskegee Institute, later Tuskegee University, which is still very much around and teaching young people today. Uh, he was known as the great educator, uh, and he was a great teacher because he was such a perfect example. Uh, he could instruct young people to develop skills and chart a path toward a productive, happy life because he did it so well himself. He started uh, vocational schools, uh, largely in the South, and educated a generation of blacks at a time when education wasn't easy for them to get. And in my article, I cited uh, some of the great things he said uh, that uh, remain very valuable today. Things like, the world carry, uh, cares very little what you or I know, but it does care a great deal about you, what you or I do. Mm. And then uh, reflecting his uh, emphasis on integrity, he once said, character, not circumstances, makes the man. Uh, he was just such a great example of, of uh, the right kind of character traits that can take anybody from even desperate poverty to success in life. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and many of these people, all of them, had difficulty securing an education, the quality of which we all had available when we were growing up. So... I just encourage you to visit fee.org, F-E-E.org, you'll find this column, Marian Anderson, George Washington Carver, and Booker T. Washington, inspiring words from three great African Americans on fee.org. Larry, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Thank you. All right. My pleasure, indeed. Okay, coming up, I'm going to visit with Jim McTagg. He is former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author. Follow the leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692 692- 692 
9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840. Or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. I want to uh, do a shout out for Choice Social. It's a new and refreshing social networking platform. You can go to choicesocial.us to uh, check it out and download it. Again, Choice Social. We have with us uh, Jim McTagg. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He's author of several books. His two latest, uh, Follow the Leader and its sequel, Great Murder Mystery, Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's a pleasure. Uh, I can feel the warmth of Florida radiating over the phone as I look out at the ice covering my back patio. Oh, I'm so sorry. Of course, you're right there in the Beltway in Washington, D.C., and, of course, speaking of which, uh, right now there's a lot of noise suggesting that uh, the party of Trump should move on without him. And uh, uh, I just would be interested in your thoughts looking forward to 2022 and 2024. Yeah, I think the Democrats are in, in very deep trouble, and they realize it. And, and this is uh, the motivation behind a, a $1.9 billion or trillion dollar stimulus package. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Democrats really don't have much uh, going for them because their front runner in the next presidential election will be Kamala Harris, who is a disaster. Um, if you look back into uh, her her primary race, uh, the public disliked her. Um, in California, her, uh, she was running way behind uh, uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. So. She's unelectable. Uh, she comes across. I don't know how she strikes you. She strikes me as a flippant and shallow. Oh, no question um, about it. And uh, she seems to have no spine or backbone. She doesn't stand for anything. She stands for whatever is popular and expedient in my mind. She goes. She went home to California for a visit, and there were two <laughs> two people standing there waving a sign, welcoming them. Well, welcome back, Ambla. I mean, she she like she can't even drive draw flies. Never mind a crowd. Yeah, and the reason she was elected to the Senate was she was the uh, the uh, choice of uh, Barack Obama and Jerry Brown and the political establishment, and she ran against uh, Loretta Sanchez, who was an absolute disaster. Mm-hmm. Sanchez, uh, the day after she announced her candidacy, put her foot in her, her mouth by uh, making fun of Native Americans. She did the uh, old Hollywood uh, uh, war hoop with the hand over mouth. And although that wouldn't get you in trouble at a Trump rally, uh, in the cancel culture of uh, the Democratic Party, it was political suicide. So, so she, so Kamala Harris had a cakewalk into the Senate when she got into a real competition during the uh, presidential campaign. She got wiped out. Yeah. Um, so, so what's going to happen? Um, let's say uh, 
President Trump starts a, a third party. I think that third party could win. And I don't think that President Trump has to be on that ticket. Uh, I think, you know, he can be a kingmaker and he can designate his successor. And that, and that um, endorsement would be very powerful. Uh, I don't think he'll run because I think he'll be too old. I actually think that uh, Biden is, uh, was too old to run. And, and I, I hope he makes it through four years, but uh, I'm not holding my breath, number yeah. one. Uh, and number two, I don't think that Trump really enjoyed being president. Hmm. I don't think he liked Washington. I don't think he liked being in the White House. And uh, so, you know, I see him uh, out. He, he likes making money. You know, I see him out in the private sector and being a political kingmaker. Yeah. Now, couple comments. He's giving a speech at CPAC in Orlando in a, in a few weeks. I'm wondering if he's if he's doing that gratis or if he if he's going to take a speaking fee. If he's taking a speaking fee, this will sort of reinforce my theory that he really doesn't want to be in the White House. Yeah, I don't. I don't suspect he'll he'll be taking any speaking fee. But uh, with regard to your comment about a third party, I just don't see that happening. You know, he has command, in my opinion, of the Republican Party. There are Mitch McConnell and other folks. You know, the turtle wants to, to move on without him. But I don't see that happening. In fact, I found a poll that 73% of likely Republican voters said that the party's leader should be more like former President Donald Trump. Now, if that doesn't tell you something, I don't know what does. Well, just let me clarify it. If he were to form a, a third party, yeah, he would still win, even uh, because the Democratic Party is incredibly weak. Yeah, uh, the Democratic Party has no leading candidate. I mean, the the virus has wiped out a host of governors and their ambitions. Uh, you know, just take Newsom and take Cuomo, two Democratic governors. If they had any presidential ambitions, they're totally smashed by their mishandling of the vaccine rollout. Yeah, uh, that's another point I want to make. People don't blame problems with the vaccine rollout on President Trump. Uh, people appreciate that the, these are the states that are fouling up, you know, so. Yeah. Well, not so only I, it would, it, it, are going to be in big trouble. Yeah, it would surprise me if actually Cuomo or uh, Newsom were still governor uh, in a year. Uh, I would be uh, shocked. Yeah. So, um uh, and, and as a sidebar, it's interesting. If you go to the U.S. Chamber of Commerce website, uh, they highlight the governor of West Virginia, Republican Jim Justice, uh, for his vaccine rollout yeah. in that state. He, he's been the most effective governor in the United States in terms of vaccine rollout. Mm. So uh, my point being that, that the general public is not blaming Trump for this fiasco, so that that's not a uh, headwind for him going into the next election. No, I couldn't agree more. You know, it just strikes me as so ironic that there's all this razor wiring around the capital, United States Capitol. It just occurred. It's some of those people they're you know gangsters, in my opinion. Anyhow, it's kind of like they're in San Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good analogy. Unbelievable. But in any event, uh, you, but I think you're highlighting the fact that the weakness of the Democrat bench, I think the, the Republican bench is extremely strong with uh, uh, Christy Nome from uh, South Dakota. Of course, our own governor, Ron DeSantis here from, uh, from uh, Florida. He's, a, he's just done a terrific job. 
Yeah, and um, are you there, Jim? I call finding the vaccine, try looking for a needle in a haystack. But you know, our governor Northam, who, who's really fouled up the rollout, he can only serve one term. Uh, McAuliffe, Terry McAuliffe, the uh, Clinton friend, is trying to to run again for a second term, not consecutive. Uh-huh. And he's trailing badly in the polls here in, in Virginia. And Virginia uh, went for Biden, heavily went for Biden. So the fact that, that the Democrats can't get a uh, candidate with any real traction here in Virginia uh, bodes very ill for the party in the next presidential election. So interesting. Well, final question about this whole thing. Are we going to see any kind of... Uh reform of the election process on a federal or state basis. Uh, I, I mean, uh, to me, there's so many loose ends, so many important things that happen during the course of the election that just don't bode well for the elections going forward. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think it's a, a legal conundrum because, of, you know, the Constitution is vague and it, it gives uh, the states a, a lot of power in determining certain elections, but it gives the feds uh, the ability to implement changes uh, broadly for for like congressional races, but not presidential races. So um, uh, what I think we'll see is um, more scrutiny and, and more security for both electronic and mail-in voting, so that um, so that you know we'll have a we'll be able to to certify an election with great certainty, whereas. Uh, uh, you know, there were so many question marks after this last election. Absolutely. And, and quite frankly, fraudulent activity as well. I hope that people are held to account for for some of their behavior because it just wasn't right. Not allowing, for example, uh, a Republican to be work with a Democrat and approving signatures uh, on the ballots for, in Pennsylvania. And you can go on and on here. But uh, uh, this this kind of behavior cannot continue. Yeah, uh, and now I think that Biden won fair and square, and I've I've, I've said before that there's always some hanky panky in elections, but generally it's localized. Generally, it's in uh, New Jersey, and it's it's too small to affect the uh, national election. But uh, you know, ideally, uh, we want squeaky clean elections. Oh, absolutely. Well, I'm not convinced. Uh, needless to say, I can't. If the guy <laughs> he couldn't give him out of his base any. He gets over 80 million uh, votes. I just can't. It's impossible to believe. It's mathematically impossible. But we're going to leave it there, Jim. Jim McTagg, again, author of Follow the Leader and its great sequel, Murder Mysteries, you'll really enjoy. Shake the Money Tree. Jim, genuinely appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. I enjoyed being back so much and being uh, relatively free of pain. I hope you'll tune in tomorrow. We're going to visit with Kathleen Pasadomo, our state senator. We'll also visit with Boo Mortensen, find out what's new with Boo. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. Seton will be with you as, with us as well, as well as my wife, Linda. Happy 46 years married to Linda, my lovely and beautiful and supportive wife. Uh, she'll be joining us as well. Always appreciate your thoughts on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks.
so much for listening to the Bob Harton Show on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharton.com.